Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. Hello, you are listening to Radio Maria, and this is Father Toby with the the Friar side. And uh, today I want to continue our reading of uh, Father Herbert McCabe's essay on the the nature of faith entitled, Is Belief Wishful Thinking? And uh, and this essay is taken from the, the collection Faith Within Reason, edited by Father Brian Davies. And in yesterday's Friarside, uh, we were sort of looking at um, the the sort of the the, na- the, na- the nature of belief and the fact that some people can uh, sort of come up with uh, sort of reasons uh, for sort of believe, believing believing what they do, whereby any argument to the to the contrary. Um, they will have a they will have a reason why it's not true without actually sort of having to engage in that uh, in that argument against against their their position. Um, whereas, as uh, sort of Herbert says, the, the the Christian doesn't have such a such a defense. If somebody says you know we can prove this thing didn't happen in history, then the then the Christian has to answer that and say you know it's not po- it, say that it's not possible that you you have this um, proof. We have to engage with the arguments um but he says sort of also we should remember that as that as well as the the believer having sort of motivations for for believing um such that they they want this to to be true because say it makes sense of life or it offers some some hope uh, which is sometimes a, a critique uh given of us but we've, we've we've dealt with at length why that's not a not a not a big problem um but as I as I sort of left yesterday, saying and uh, inspired by Herbert's words, we should also be prepared to put the ball on the other foot and to say, might you have a desire for the the resurrection um, not to be true? Might you have a desire for for miracles not to be occurring in the in in the modern world? Because if the resurrection was true, if miracles are still occurring, then that isn't the sort of uh, thing that you could not take seriously um that would have to cause you to to re-examine everything about your life and uh, and perhaps reorient it and perhaps you don't want that um and the uh, and the one other thing i said to us is that um do our lives look like people who genuinely believe in the resurrection um 
do it when others sort of look at our lives do they think actually the the pattern of of christian life looks looks different um or do they see our lives and just think oh this person has a has a sort of a comforting set of beliefs to them but which actually doesn't make a difference in the way that we live there should be a a generosity that that characterizes christians there should be a a certain fearlessness in 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 loving um that sh- should make us distinct from those uh, that are all around us you know it's said in the in the bible they they shall know they shall know we are christians by our by our love and um you know we live in a world that's confused about what the nature of love is but uh but nonetheless i i still don't think that we we stand out enough in our in our in our loving um so let's uh, let's resume with what uh, Father Herbert has to has to say, um, and he speaks about uh, the the believer here. He says, you know, presented with contrary arguments, and he says, suppose that they assess the worth of every argument and piece of evidence as calmly and objectively as they can, without allowing any wishful thinking to distort their judgment. Given the most favourable circumstances, such people could at the most come to the conclusion that a good deal of the Christian story is a very likely tale. They might entertain it as a plausible hypothesis, and this is all they, they this is all that they would be justified in doing on the evidence they have. Um, and if you want an, an example of a uh, of, of somebody who actually did that, who decided to start um, examining the evidence, uh, have a look at um, Lee Strobel, uh, whose wife, um, they'd been quite an, uh, sort of proudly atheistic couple, and, uh, and his wife had quite a profound uh, experience where she sort of converted on the, on the back of this experience and a, and a perceived miracle not not on the on the basis of of sort of you know pure rational argument um and sort of strobel was was pretty horrified um and so he he set out to to show how his sort of you know wife's conversion couldn't uh couldn't 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 be true you know that what she was believing in was a was a fallacy however sort of comforting or however much she she might have thought she'd experienced a a miracle um, and so Strobel, who was a legal journalist, set out to to investigate um, all the sort of historical evidence for the truth of the Gospels. And, uh, and much to his horror, he found found that the case was overwhelmingly in favour of the uh, the truth of the Gospels. Um, and yet, as we've said. Um, you can find that the the case is is, is in favour. You might even find that it's uh, at, at that legal standard, um, the civil standard on the balance of probabilities, or even the criminal standard, beyond reasonable doubt. Um, and yet the believer doesn't say, "Oh well, I have some doubt." Um, the believer says that they're certain. And what we have to try and establish is like, where does this certainty come from? That the evidence, the purely the evidence, does not demand. Um, and here is where he, he looks at this. So he says, 
you know, Christians, of course, do not do anything of the kind. They do not say these things are highly probable. They say that they are quite certain about them. This certainty about them is called faith. This certainty cannot be justified by the evidence. An important thing to notice here is that the faith is that faith is not only a way of accepting the Christian story. It is also itself an important element in the story. A great deal of what we accept in faith is about faith itself. We believe that it is essential to believe. Jesus is constantly saying, sort of, unless you believe in me and whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. Um, belief is, a, is, is an, an important part and what we're investigating is what exactly do we mean by belief and how and why do we um, believe. And then in that, uh, that gospel that we get of um, so-called Doubting Thomas on Divine Mercy Sunday, that uh, second Sunday of, of Easter, um, when uh, Jesus says to Thomas, you know, you believe because you have seen, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Well, that's, that's us. And Jesus um, says by these words that there is something better about knowing by faith and that knowing by faith is an important part of what it is to be Christian this side of eternity. So what, what is that? Well, stay tuned and we'll find out. Um, so Herb, Herbert continues, The demand which God places upon us is not that we should be well informed about his plan, but that we should believe in him. It's a really important line. Not that we should be well informed about his plan, but that we should believe in him. That is why I was careful to say that a detached inquirer might come to the conclusion that a good deal of the Christian story is a very plausible hypothesis. People who held it at a people who held it as a plausible hypothesis that Christ rose from the dead, and who also held it as a plausible hypothesis that this ought to not be held merely as a plausible hypothesis, would be in a curiously complicated, though perhaps not impossible, logical position. Um, that's a slightly confusing. Uh, sentence which he's he's written um it there uh but it's not that important to dwell on so if you didn't understand that don't worry we we move on but he says suppose we admitted that the christian is not a wishful thinker in the sense of reasoning dishonestly isn't there something very like wishful thinking in having certainty when it cannot be one warranted by the evidence christians for example are quite certain that no evidence will come up to disprove the resurrection. Isn't this just because they would hate to see any such evidence and therefore refuse to contemplate the possibility of there being any? Well, no. I do not think it is wishful thinking in that sense. What makes Christians so sure that no evidence will come up to prove that the resurrection didn't happen? is just their conviction that the resurrection did happen. My being sure that I am, say, in Paris, logically entails being sure that at no time 
not even in the remotest future will evidence appear to prove that I was not in Paris. No special power of prophecy is needed for this. It is just a logical requirement. Just as I do not need to be a prophet to know that in any week you care to choose, Thursday will come before Friday. So what sort of Herbert is sort of probing there and, and asking the question, is it what we're saying as as Christians that, um, you know, we look at the evidence for, for Christianity and that gets us so far um, that we we sort of come to think, oh, well, this is this is probable that this actually that this actually occurred. And then is and then is faith somehow what makes up the, the gap? Is it there's this sort of leap of faith which takes me from thinking that the evidence is is probable to to now saying that I'm that I'm certain. Um well sort of yes yes and yes and yes and no. Um we'll examine um soon what it what it is actually that makes that difference between uh saying that something is reasonably probable and uh and saying that it's that it's certain and why uh this is because faith is a is a different way of knowing a a relational way of knowing a way where, whereby we know because we trust the one who is revealed not because we're examining um what they are revealing and then assessing whether it is true or not we trust because we believe the one who is telling us is trustworthy um, we have more of this after a little bit of music we're going to listen now to uh um panis angelicus sung by placido domingo and the uh, vienna boys choir
You are listening to Radio Maria and this is Father Toby with the Friarside and we are looking at the uh, the nature of faith and asking is faith reasonable and we've been going through uh, sort of a challenging but I think excellent essay by Father Father Herbert McCabe. Um, if you found that opening bit a little bit difficult, it gets more uh, straightforward in this next section where uh, Father Herbert gives some sort of entertaining examples of where we can say to, you know, we might say about somebody, you need to stop doubting. Actually, it's unreasonable um, for you to say this is not certain and you just need to sort of get on with behaving that it's uh, certainly true. So let's pick up again. He says, all the same, I think the believer's certainty is wishful thinking in another sense. It is important to remember here that as far as the evidence goes, people may be in doubt about the truth of Christian doctrines. Now what makes them certain? I think we can best understand this by looking at some cases of uncertainty. And so he recounts about Fred going off for the weekend and leaving his house empty and uh, and I wonder where where he's about to go with this how much of this will ring true with you for for me it's uh it's not the gate that he speaks of with Fred it's going to be my passport when going on on holiday incessant checking and doubting but he speaks of Fred just going out of the gate when he thinks I wonder if I really locked the front door he goes back and gives it a tug yes it seems locked he starts off again. Then comes the thought. Did I really tug it properly? Back he goes again. Another harder tug. Okay. But once more a nagging suspicion. Better try the key. So he unlocks it and locks it again. Off again. Then, did I really unlock it and lock it again? Or did I just lock it and then unlock it again? and so on and so on. If we find Fred in this predicament, we do not recommend him to get some more evidence. We do not try to argue with him. We try to persuade him. At least in the early stages of this sort of scrupulosity, we say, pull yourself together, or for heaven's sake, don't be silly. Or if we are in a position of authority, we might simply forbid him to go on looking for evidence again. We think that his state of uncertainty is a pathological, neurotic one, and we try to help him to feel certain, to make the necessary effort of will. It's really important. He's saying there's something of will in, in faith, um, not just about sort of evidence and intellectual conviction, but there's a movement of our, of our will. So we might think, um, you know, we can we can look at all of our lives in terms of like there's 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 what's going on in our head, but also what's going on in our in our hearts. Um, you know, and that we can we can know that we we should love someone, and yet there can be something in our hearts which holds us back um, from 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 loving. Um, it's never like in the human life just one or the other. With what we actually do, it needs to be both so father herbert continues it is in this way that an element of will hence of wish enters into our certainties about matters 
about which we do not have enough evidence to be absolutely sure. To a very great extent, we decide to think this rather than that. Now, as he observes, normally no effort of will is required, so we only notice the wishfulness of our thinking when we find someone who lacks the element of decision, who is neurotically unable to make up his or her mind. We don't ordinarily need an effort of will to do things that are wishful. To love someone, for example, is clearly a matter of willing, but no effort is normally needed. Indeed, when we say we are willing to do so-and-so, we precisely mean that we will not need to force ourselves. So we can uh, think of uh, you know, this example ourselves, say you're in the, in the car or out at work or some, some other place than home listening to this right now. Um, now, hopefully I'm not going to sow terrible seeds of doubt in your head with what I'm about to say. But do you actually remember um, the, the moment of locking your door um, this morning? Do you actually remember sort of doing, doing that? Chances are you don't remember doing that. But also, chances are that as I say this now, you don't have to uh, immediately rush home and, uh, and go and check. Um, my sincere apologies if uh, by saying this now I have made you immediately rush home and check that wasn't my intention but rather most of you will say hopefully um, well I don't remember doing that but I'm sure that I did because I do it every morning um, and uh, and even if I can't remember it now well I'm just going to going to forget about it I'm going to I'm, I'm going to be certain um, that I did and not not let the sort of warrior in my head enter. Um, did I? Didn't I? I just need to to be certain about it. And for most of you, um, it won't even have uh, you know, sown any seed of doubt whatsoever. You won't have to be actively willing not to think or worry about it. Nonetheless, you are willing, um, but you don't have to actively do this. It comes naturally. Um, but there are certain elements in our life where we we cease to be able to to, to trust. We we live with this nagging doubt. And uh, and Herbert's going to deal with the fact that it, is it is it always reasonable for us to say yes? But how can I be sure? How can I be sure? Or are there examples where, in fact, it is unreasonable for us to continue to uh, to doubt? Um, so resuming with with what Herbert says, he says it seems to me that most of our opinions are wishful thinking in just this sense, not in the sense that we force ourselves to think such and such but in the sense that we decide to think such and such. And life would be impossible without these wishful thinkings. It is because the uncertain man tends to disrupt social life that we think he is in a bad condition. Sometimes we think his bad condition is his own fault, in which case we blame him. Sometimes we do not, in which case we merely try to cure him. But we recognize that in either case, he ought not to be in this state. The most obvious example of this is the jealousy and mutual suspicion that can destroy a family, a society, or a particular personal relationship. We think of this as a bad thing, and normally as a blameworthy thing. A man ought not to be constantly demanding proofs and employing private detectives. 
I instance these cases of human trust and human faith not as the same thing as divine faith, but simply to show how the will and responsibility, moral responsibility, enters into belief. It is a romantic myth that there is some kind of moral superiority about people who refuse to make up their minds because the evidence is not 100% compelling. We have seen too many people who have insisted that we can't be absolutely sure that the Jews were persecuted in Germany, that the apartheid was hideously unjust, that Catholics are persecuted in some places, that prisoners are tortured in others, and so on. We do not admire such people as detached and critical intellectuals. We think that they are silly and morally at fault. Of course it would be absurd and a kind of idolatry to suggest that a man ought to have the kind of certainty about his wife's honesty or about press reports that he has about the creed. I'm not comparing the certainty of the two cases, but merely their wishfulness. Um, and so here, so he enters into the the idea of like there can be a moral responsibility to believe certain things, um, and that actually sort of rather than praise the person who says like I won't take a position until I'm a hundred percent certain on the back of the uh, on the back of the evidence, um, that that actually can be a, a blameworthy uh, position to to take. And in fact, um, that can start to be an, an excuse to do nothing. Think of the, the man who will do no charity whatsoever um, because he can't be certain that his charity um, won't sometimes uh, go towards bad ends. The man who never, ever would countenance to giving to anybody on the street um, because he always says to himself, aha, but how can I be sure? It won't be spent on alcohol. Aha, how can I be sure it won't be spent on drugs? How can I be sure that this person isn't merely lazy? Um, we can start to, uh, to find excuses um, not, to do, not to do anything, to do, to do no charity. We can become sort of smug in ourselves um, about it. Uh, but what sort of Herbert says actually is that this, this demand for certainty in many areas of our life is is actually um is actually blameworthy and he speaks particularly about sort of trust in human relationships um the man who's constantly demanding uh that his sort of wife tell him where wherever she is she is she is going um the, you know the sort of the man who wants to install a tracker on his uh, on his wife's phone the man who wants to be able to look at his his messages at her messages um, this is not reasonable behavior. Um, this is morally um, blameworthy and reprehensible. Um, let's now uh, listen to a little more music. We're going to listen to uh, Ego Sumpanis Vivus, uh, sung by the uh, London Oratory Choir. So we've had just before the Panis Angelicus, um, that uh, uh, bread of the angels, and now we've got I am the living bread. Ego Sumpanis Vivus by the London Oratory Choir.
grounds of failure of their will, what is it that they have not wanted enough? Let us look at the jealous husband. The good esteem that others have of us is one of our possessions. We do a good deal of work to acquire it, and we are harmed if it is damaged. It exists, of course, in other people's minds, and may or may not be expressed in their behaviour. To think ill of somebody is already to harm them, even if the thought is not made public. Really interesting thought, isn't it? He says, to think ill of somebody is already to harm them, even if the thought is not made public. In, um, in the Gospels of late, we've been hearing Jesus uh, speak about, um, about the importance of, the, of interiority, uh, the importance of that um, sort of what, what's actually going on inside us. And saying it's not okay to just uh, sort of behave as if everything were, were okay and to harbour um, ill thoughts. Uh, rather, we have to, uh, you know, we have to sort of change our change our interiority. Um, so let's let's go and why he says that harbouring ill thoughts, even if it doesn't appear to affect our behaviour, matters. Um, he says. We do a good deal of work to acquire it, and we are harmed if it is damaged. It exists, of course, in other people's minds, and may or may not be expressed in their behaviour. To think ill of somebody is already to harm them, even if the thought is not made public. This must be so because there would be no harm in speaking ill of people unless it made others think ill of them. The jealous husband damages his wife's esteem in his own mind. He is likely to do more than this as a consequence. But first of all, he harms her by thought itself. Now to love someone means to desire good for them and not harm. Hence, suspicion and mistrust are opposed to love. So we blame the jealous man because he does not sufficiently want the good of his wife. The trouble with the unbeliever is the much more serious one that he does not sufficiently want the good of himself. Let's just um, recap uh, what, what we've sort of said in this last section. We've, we've examined how sort of examining the, the evidence, um, not just in religious matters, but in a, in a whole host of areas of human life, can take us to like of on the balance of probabilities or can take us to um beyond reasonable doubt and yet we say that we are certain about things when the evidence only takes us to the point where there's still some doubt remains on the on the back of the the evidence um and we're saying not only that uh that it's uh, reasonable to have certainty in such in such cases um, we were saying that it can be unreasonable not to be certain in such cases. And we've said that this movement from uh, from sort of in the intellect being almost certainly convinced to in the whole person being certain that this is a, an act of the of the will. And we were examining situations where somebody uh, claims to still be uh, sort of un uncertain uh, and we were saying that why this is not a not a reasonable situation to to be in, why this person 
actually um, ought to uh, sort of express certainty about these things. And we've been doing it first, first of all by examining the, the relationships between uh, different people and especially where sort of, you know, a husband refuses to, to, to trust a wife. Um, and actually then just moving that final bit to saying that actually harboring an interior lack of, lack of trust, um, this, uh, this in fact is, is harmful to, to that, to that person. Um, and then in fact, it's, it's contrary to love. Um, we're gonna, gonna resume um, this next week, uh, next next Monday, um, and I think sort of over the course of Monday and Tuesday, we'll get through to the to the end of this um, essay. If you had any questions on uh, what we've been discussing, then you can always email us. Just go on the on the website radiomariaengland.uk. It's been a pleasure being with you today. This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.